0: There is no beauty that would attract us. But isn't it interesting and paradoxical that that God comes and redefines for us what truly is beautiful? I mean, really, right? I mean, is there anything more beautiful and then to have eyes to see it because God has given us regenerated eyes to see the beauty of the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That is the most beautiful thing Ever and oh, to see it, may we see it as we go to his word, If you please would turn with me to psalm twelve psalm twelve i 'm going to take a few weeks to do some psalms, and then i 'm going to commence uh, shortly thereafter in the book of, of Hebrews, uh, which is really one of my favorite it 's my go to uh, when i 'm struggling because I think that 's the point it 's to encourage the saints to persevere in the face of struggle. And uh, I think that we need to hear that word today from the living God, that uh, He has us, He's the author and the finisher of our faith, and He's going to complete that work that He's begun. But today we're going to look at Psalm 12, Psalm 12, a psalm of of David. Uh, Psalm 12 describes for us uh, very vividly uh, the difficulty that we, as a pilgrim exiled people, on our way to our heavenly Jerusalem, to our inheritance, uh, as we live out the Christian life in these last days that Paul spoke of there in 2 Corinthians, rather uh, 1 Timothy chapter 3, and, and David here gives us some counsel about how to, how to navigate, right, how, how to find our way amidst all the, the lies, all the, the confusion, all of the deceit All of the duplicity and and decadence that we see that's so troubling to us as it it weighs us down. It it causes the saints to groan. (laughs) To groan. To weep. Right? We're up here at the corner and there's this abortion mill right here that sits on the corner. and, And they have marquees out front. Like, like you would, you would advertise an oil change. Oh, we, we kill babies here. It, it's still legal. Oh beloved, this, this should cause us to weep. Now anger, yes. I think anger is an appropriate response, but it also leads to weeping, and to lamentation as we think about the, the perversity and, and, and the ugliness and the dehumanization. Uh, of, of what's happening in the culture. And, and David here captures some of that, some of that feel, some of that um, just angst, if you will. And I, I pray that you would feel it today. And I pray you feel it every day because rather than drive us away uh, from God, God uses it to drive his children to him. Because where else can we go? Right? Where else are you going to go? What political figure are you looking to? What, what, what Wall Street executive? What, what professional? There is no place else to go than to the fairest Lord Jesus, the way that David did. It's very instructive for us. So let's listen to God's Word as I read it. And let's just pray and ask God to give us something of the sense of, of how it was crafted when the Spirit led David to pen it. The, 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 the very emotion that's full, so full in this psalm and so expressive of David, the king of Israel, the anointed of Yahweh. Psalm 12. Save, O Lord Yahweh, for the godly one is gone, for the faithful have vanished from among the children of man. Everyone utters lies to his neighbors, with flattering lips and a double heart they speak. May the Lord cut off all flattering lips, the tongue that makes great boast. Those who say, with our tongue we will prevail, our lips are with us, or our lips are under our control. Who is master or Lord over us? Because the poor are plundered, because the needy groan, I will now arise, says the Lord Yahweh. I will place him in the safety for which he, he longs or, or thirsts or pants after. The words of the Lord Yahweh are pure words. Like, like silver refined in a furnace on the ground, purified seven times. You, O Lord Yahweh, will keep them. You will guard us from this generation forever. On every side the the wicked prowl, as vileness is exalted among the children of man. Grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God abides forever. Let's pray and ask this blessing. Lord, we, we humble ourselves as best we can under this word this word that captures the, the angst and the groaning and the, the longing of the child of God for heaven to be delivered from this present evil age. And yet this present evil age clings so close to us as we walk through this, this valley of tears, this valley of Baca, as we walk through what the Psalter and what the psalmist knew, so real, and so palpable to them. We pray and ask that your Holy Spirit would, would come now and give us wisdom on how to navigate, how to live lives full of joy, and yet lamenting over what is not yet given in the fullness of Jesus Christ and the new heavens and new earth as we live between the, the already of the establishment of the kingdom and the not yet of its final consummation as we live between the times, as it were. Meet us in your word. Feed us, Jesus. Give us yourself. We pray this in your holy name. Amen. One of the songs that we would sing in our house when the kids were younger was the the song that uh, Judy Rogers, uh, I believe she's an OPC wife of a minister, uh, wrote Based uh, on Proverbs 6, there are six things, even seven, that the Lord hates, things he cannot stand. I I won't sing it for you, I'll save you the misery of of hearing me sing. But what's interesting about those seven things that the Lord hates, two of them are related to lying. Two of them are related to, to how we use the tongue, though it is a small organ, it it can do great damage as well as great good. We're told there that, that God hates a lying tongue and anyone who loves to lie about others. And he goes on in Proverbs 12, 22, that lying lips are detestable to the Lord. And the Lord Jesus teaches us in John 8 that that Satan himself, that the god of this age, who has blinded the minds of unbelievers, whom Paul also calls the, the prince of the ruler of the air, right, is a liar. He's the father of lies. And all of us know as well, not only that great truth, but we know that detru- distrust and lying destroys everything it touches. Distrust and lying is like cancer. It metastasizes and it begins to eat itself, right? Whether that be individually, if we live duplicitous lives, right? If we're one thing on Sunday morning and then we're something else on Monday, right? It destroys friendships, right? You don't have anything if you don't have trust, right? Trust is the bedrock, it's it's the foundation of all relationships, right? Not only family, friends, but even nations, right? right. Sin is a reproach to any people, but, but righteousness exalts a nation, says the Proverbs. And, and it sure seems today, doesn't it not, and it seemed this way in David's day, that, that we live in an age when lying and deceit is more pervasive, right? It, it seems that way, more ubiquitous, right? It's, it's everywhere, it's, it's within all the institutions, it's in family structures, it's in business dealings, it seems everywhere. And yet since the fall, this present age can be defined as an age characterized as an age of lies. Since Genesis 3, we've lived in this very age, this age of deception as it's ruled by the prince of the power of the air. It was true for David when David penned this psalm in a thousand B.C., it was true for Paul as he's sitting there in Rome ready to be martyred for his faith, to be executed, right? 64 A.D. And it's also true today. And yet there has been this cataclysmic, this, this massive invasion that changed the world. And that invasion was the arrival of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. When the King of all glory entered the strong man's house, and he, he binds the strong man, right? that he over, overcomes the strong man. He, he binds him up. As I would say in seminary, it's, it's like D-Day has been won, right? D-Day was won on June 6, 1944. Right? That great invasion of the Allied forces there on the, the beaches of Normandy in France. They, they won this decisive victory as they rooted out the Germans who were entrenched there. And yet we know that V-Day did not happen until May 7th, 1945. So it took a whole year to pass before the victory would be fully felt and known by all of the allied forces. Well, it's that way for us. D-Day has occurred. Christ has been raised. New creation has dawned. It has broken in to this present evil age. And yet, and yet, we still feel the, the weight and, and the deceit and we deal with it. Whether it's in ourselves or is it dealing with others, we, we still struggle with this evil age in which we currently reside. So there's this tension between the already and the not yet. And, and here David picks up on this, and he brings this corporate lament to God, asking him to deliver God's people from all the liars, from, from all the flatterers, from all the slanderers that mark our age. You see, he, he's crying. David here is crying for V-Day. As it were, he, he knows D-Day has occurred, Christ has been raised, but it sure doesn't feel this way. So this is the kingdom of God. How do we explain that the pain and the, the angst and the lying and the deceit that is so pervasive? All the brokenness, all the sin. David here is crying that we would know something of the V Day, the victory, the total victory of God. Notice this, and I think this is a very important point, and I want to stress it, that although David is discouraged, he's not despairing. He's full of faith. He's full of hope. And I believe this is an extremely important word for us in our post-truth world. You see, that's where we live. We're told this. Oxford Dictionary in 2016 determined, according to them, according to their authority... Who them is that gave them this authority? I don't know. That we live in a post-truth world. There's no such thing as truth. Now, now it's your truth or, or my truth or their truth, but there is no such thing with, as truth, capital T. You see, but David doesn't get too depressed or too despairing, right? He's careful not to fall into cynicism or, or pessimism. Right? He does not fall into the trap of doubting God's power to intervene and to keep his promises. You see, the storms are all around David are not dictating the rhythms of life. It's congruent and, and right in lockstep with what Wes prayed. That we're not being controlled by the circumstances of the world. The shifting sands of what the news feed is this moment or, or the next one. It's not dictating the the rhythms of life. He's not suffocating under the circumstances of life, right? Lies and deceit surround him, yes, but they don't drive him away from God. They they drive David to God, you see. And that's important for us to remember that when God brings tumult and he, he brings disaster and he brings this angst that you feel, don't let it drive you away from God. Let it drive you Let it drive you to lean further into God, closer to God. Find your refuge and safety solely in Him. You see, beloved, it's all too easy to become pessimistic. They become jaded. I mean, there really isn't much in the culture to rejoice over, right? Psalm 11.3, when the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? I've talked with many of you. I feel this, myself. I know you feel it. The uneasiness in society, it's it's palpable. The winds of political power are now clearly against the church in the West. Persecutions on the rise across the world. Now, we know very little of that today. We might lose our job. We might be canceled on Facebook or Twitter. Yes. But around the world, people are losing their in the cause of Christ. They're martyrs. They're, they're dying. Every day it's becoming harder and harder, I know, to, to be a Christian in the public square. They want to silence you. They want to silence your voice. It's all too easy to become pessimistic and doubt God's goodness when the circumstances are what they are in the culture. But we must never take Our eyes off the author and the finisher of our faith. We must hold fast to his promises. Like the promise found there in verse 5. Notice what David does. I will hold fast to this promise where the Lord says, I will now arise. I will place him, my saint, my child, in the safety for which he longs. Right? He's groaning for the reality of... And the victory of Jesus Christ ultimately be made manifest for all to see. And here, in this psalm, he gives us five words or or five counsels of advice to help us navigate through this dark and deceitful time. These last days that we now reside in. First, we cry out to God. Secondly, we ask the Lord to silence the lies. Thirdly, we wait on God to act. Fourthly, we trust in the Lord's word. And then fifthly, this is germane to the fourth point, we rest. We rest in God's promise. We're not going to let the the world dictate our spiritual lives with God's grace. We're going to rest in him. We're going to trust him. We're going to ask him to silence the lies. We're going to look into his word. We're going to hold fast to that word. We're going to be buckled in our holding fast to it. So let's look first at this first word of advice, this first word of counsel that that David, the anointed of the Lord, gives us. First, verse 1, David wastes no time in getting to the matter at hand. Notice what he says. Save, O Lord, for the godly one is gone, for the faithful have vanished from among the children of men." You see what David does? He's watched the news feeds. He's read the he reports. He's cut on CNN, Fox News. Right? He knows what's happening around him, but notice what he does. He he takes his anxious thoughts, and where does he take them? He takes them to the throne of grace. He cries out, "Help, save, O oh Lord! Where else can I go, O oh God? You alone have the words of eternal life." Why is David crying? Why is he crying out? Something and someone is missing. Notice what is missing. Save, O Lord, for for the godly one is gone. The faithful have vanished. Now you're thinking, well, have they? I think God always has a remnant. That's true. He he always has a remnant. We, We believe in a remnant theology as Reformed Presbyterians. We believe this. We know this. And yet, David felt experience is that he's the only one, right? It seems this way to David. Is there anyone godly in Washington anymore? Is there a righteous businessman in all the earth? A faithful father? A nurturing mother? Is, is there to be found? As Jesus said, when the salt is gone, there's nothing to prevent the decadence in society. Right? As, the, as the influence of the salt of the church diminishes increasingly in our age, we should expect almost like a dimmer switch. It's almost like it's going to get darker and darker. Expect this. As the culture is no longer influenced, salinated by the by the truth of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Beloved, when the people and institutions you once trusted are no more, it's it's upsetting, it's disturbing. We all know the feeling of people we once admired or counted on letting us down. It's unsettling. We can feel like Elijah there in 1 Kings 19, 10, under the broom tree, right? Let me remind you. Listen to Elijah as he's, he's feeling the same angst that David is expressing here in Psalm 12, that Micah expresses in Micah 7, 3. I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I, even I, am left. And now they seek my life as well. I'm the only one left. All saints is the only true church left in all the earth. Micah 7, 3, the godly has perished from the earth. There is no one upright any among mankind. You see, this is the way the the saints of God feel. This is reformed biblical piety and spirituality. Don't think it's strange when you feel this way. When you feel this way, when it appears to the eye gate that that all is lost, what can you do? You can take David's counsel here and cry out to the Lord, save, O Lord, and know that in Jesus Christ you have a Savior who hears a Savior who is promised, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So don't let the situation in the culture unsettle you, disturb you. Right? It, it's not normative. You know what's normative in your life, Christian? Is this word? This is what's normative. This is normativity. 39 old, 27 new, the Word of God. It's a light to your path. It is your portion. It is your meat. It is your drink. And you are a fool if you seek to navigate this world apart from this very word of God. Don't be a fool. Don't build your house on sand. Right? Fox News is not dictating the rhythms of my heart. Daily Caller, Tucker Carlson. Praise God for these faithful truth-tellers, I guess. But you know what? My trust is not in the media, social, digital media of any kind, anywhere, only in Jesus Christ. Well, secondly, not only must you cry out, You must ask the Lord to silence the lies. When's the last time you prayed, God, would you silence the lying? Would you cut off the deceitful? That's what David does. We know that nature abhors a vacuum. When the righteous and godly are gone, what fills the void? Verse 2. What's going to fill the void? when the godly one's gone, when when the church is no longer being one of the main voices in the culture at large in society. Notice what fills the void. Liars with flattering lips and double hearts, forked tongues. A culture that's filled where everyone utters lies to his neighbor. Social media, Hollywood, political... Even in the visible church, we are surrounded by those with duplicitous and dishonest hearts. Those who use flattering and smooth words. Just like that forbidden woman there in Proverbs 5. Her lips drip honey. And she wants to take the simple, the naive, and those who fail to hear Lady Wisdom calling. Come to my house, not to her house, that your soul may live. Because if you follow the woman called Folly, the harlot, you're going to be less than a loaf of bread. Her house leads to hell. You follow wisdom's voice. You see, we are surrounded by those who want to consume us. Those who we work, language and manipulate and coerce. Jeremiah 9, 8, their tongue is a deadly arrow. It speaks deceitfully with his mouth. Each speaks peace to his neighbor, but in his heart he plans to ambush him. You see, those in authority tell you what they want you to hear with flattery. They take selected facts and craft their own narrative to try to win you over. What can the righteous do? What can we cry out to God? Four. Well, here in verses 3 to 4, David gives us the very words. We're to take that first admonition of crying out, and he fills it out for us. What does he say? This is what you should cry out. May the Lord cut off all flattering lips, the tongue that makes great boast. Oh, Lord, cut them off. Cut off those who say with their tongue, we will prevail. Our lips are with us. They're under my control. Who is the Lord that I should serve him? Right? Who is the master over us? We see the clear nature of true humanity, the fallen heart boasting and rejoicing in their own autonomy, suppressing the truth and unrighteousness. They became fools, the Word of God says. They denied nature itself, and their foolish hearts are darkened. You see, these folks believe they can say whatever they want and never answer for it, but we pray with David, Lord, cut them off. Cut them off, Lord. Cut off the deceitful lips. Those words that tickle the ear. Just tell me what I want to hear. That cuddle me. Where I become a victim rather than a sinner in need of salvation. All my problems are because of something else rather than myself. You see, these are lies and we need to shut these lies down. We need to pray. Pray knowing and confessing except for the grace of God, there go I. There go you. Unless God wash my lips and wash my heart, there I am in the midst of them. G.K. Cheterton said this, From lies of tongue and pen, from all the easy speeches that comfort cruel men, deliver us, good Lord. You see, this is what we're to pray. We're to cry out. We're to ask the Lord to silence. Thirdly, we're to wait on God to act. Verse 5. Now isn't it true that there are very few things in life that are harder than waiting? I don't like to wait in the toll booth. I don't like to wait at the public's. I don't like to wait at all. You can ask my wife. She'll give you the real down on your pastor, but that's just being honest. I'm an impatient man. We don't like waiting. But if you're going to follow Jesus, as he sanctifies you, he, he's going to put in in his providence opportunities for you to have to wait. To wait to groan, to long, to him to act. We see in verse 5, we see that the liars and deceivers of verses 2 to 4 have used their words to oppress and plunder the poor and needy. But don't miss this, it's the very cries of the poor and needy that God hears in heaven, right? The righteous cry out and the Lord hears and delivers them from all their fears. Beloved, the Lord hears the groans of the righteous those who have the first fruits of the Spirit, he hears, he sees, he knows, and he answers his people. You see, God sees, right? The wicked, they cry out, who's master over us? My lips are my own, right? They don't think they have to answer to anyone. The fool has said in his heart there is no God. But God sees. God sees the perversity of political correctness. He sees it. He sees the duplicitous speech in the land. He knows every lie. He sees all the manipulating of facts. And notice what he says. As the child of God cries out, as the child of God asks, what does he do? He sits in his heaven. He's not worried. He's not rolling his hands. Oh, what am I going to do? Oh, yeah, that's what we would do, right? No. Psalm 84, verse 6 says, The psalmist says that the the swallow has found a place near your altar, O God, to have her young. There's no more peaceful place in all of the universe than in heaven at the throne of grace, the throne of God. He's there, he's not anxious, not perplexed, he's not sideways, but he's always listening and he hears the cries of his people. And notice what he says there in verse 5 I will now arise. I will place him, my child, in the safety for which he longs. You see, the time comes when the living God, having heard the groans and cries of his own people, says enough. Spurgeon says, nothing moves a father like the cries of his children. You know, some of you have small kids and you know their cries. You can read the cry, right? The selfish cry, the hungry cry, I need to be changed cry, so forth and so on. God knows the cries of his people. I cried to the Lord and he heard my cry, says the psalmist, Psalm 116, and he answered me. See, God knows he hears your cry. So we need to be patient and wait for the Lord to be strong, to take heart, to take courage. We cry out, we ask, we wait. Fourthly, we trust in the Lord's word. Why can we wait? How can we wait? We can wait because the God who speaks to us is not duplicitous. Right? He doesn't lie to us. He doesn't flatter us. Notice his word, verse five. His words are pure words, like silver refined in a furnace on the ground, purified seven times, as Wes read from Second Timothy three. All scripture is God breathed and is useful for instruction, for conviction, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete fully equipped for every good work. You see, God's word is without dross, impurity, or deception. You can go to the bank with God's word. You can build your life on this word, this rock. He's promised to answer his children and to give them the safety for which they long. Beloved, God in his word is our only comfort amidst all the deceit and falsehood of this present evil age. None who take refuge in him will be Put to shame. You can trust it because it's gone through the fire, the refiner's fire, seven times, which is a sign of perfection. It's perfectly true. Psalm 30, verse 5 Every word of God proves true. He's a shield to those who take refuge in Him. And you're sitting there, though, and you're saying, What am I going to do with that word now? Right? Verse 5 I will now arise. It doesn't seem very now when you're in the fire of adversity. It doesn't seem very now when you're surrounded and submerged in a culture full of lies and deceit and flattery. Where's this now you speak of? Oh, God. I don't feel very now. Do you feel very now? When you cut the news on, do you say, oh, well, there's the kingdom of God. Let's just be honest. Doesn't feel like it, does it? Kind of like John, when he's locked up, when Herod puts him in prison, and John is doubting, he's like, are, 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 "Are you the one, Lord Jesus? Or should we expect another? Because there shouldn't there be more bells and whistles and, and more uh, cultural transformation with the kingdom of God? Not very impressive. And Jesus answers John. Go back to John and tell him the dead are raised, the blind see, and the kingdom advances. Don't be tripped up on this sublime way that the kingdom comes in humility and in suffering. Because it comes, and the now doesn't seem very now when you're in the fire of adversity. Now we know that God's now is not always immediate, right? In verses 7 to 8, look there at verses 7 and 8 as vileness is exalted among the children of men. You see, the implication here is that God redeems His own while they're called to live out their lives amidst all the wickedness and the evil of this age. You see, we live in the not yet of the kingdom. And David's stress here is not on the immediacy of God's salvation, but rather the certainty of it. And as we wait, we cry out, save. We ask, Lord, silence the liars. We trust Him to do this in His timing. And then fifthly and lastly, we rest in the Lord's promise in verses 7 to 8. In verse 5, He promises deliverance. In verse 6, we're assured the promise is certain. But here in verse 7, notice what David does. He gives us this great promise again. You, O Lord, will keep them. You will keep, you will guard your people from this generation. Beloved, know that this that the liars and the boastful and deceitful flatterers of this age cannot ultimately harm you. Saints, until the new heavens and new earth, though, we know that we should not be surprised that we find evil and deceit in our midst, all around us, the vileness. The situation of verse 8 and verse 1 and 2 is still with us. We still live east of Eden, a world marked by lives in doublespeak. This is the world that God has called the church to live out her life in this world. Will it change? Will there be a greater impact of the kingdom of God? There has been in seasons. There's been little eruptions, if you will, like revivals, right? We see God coming and great works of the Spirit bringing reformation. But we don't know that He's going to do that. We're not exactly sure. But He calls us to hold fast, to live in the tension of His security. And yet, as we live out the Christian life in a world full of wickedness, Saints, we have a God who promises to keep us, to guard us in a world where the wicked strut and vileness is exalted. All saints, with God's promise upon our lips, we can continue to wait in faith for God's now to arrive, knowing that D-Day has occurred, even as we wait for the V-Day, knowing it is certain. So until it arrives, keep crying out, keep asking, keep waiting, keep trusting, and keep resting. Pretty simple, isn't it? Yeah, Simple. Oh, but we need grace of Jesus to enable us to do that. Let's pray and ask this blessing. Our Lord and our God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the counsel of the psalmist. We thank you for the counsel of the anointed, even David, as he foreshadows the Lord Jesus Christ, that we are to cry out to you in the wickedness that surrounds us, asking that you would silence the lies and the deceit that seems ever-present among us. We would pray and Ask that you would give us grace to wait upon you to bring the now of the kingdom into our lives, even as we go through this valley of tears. And we pray that we would trust on that word that has been refined like silver in a furnace, pure, refined seven times over. And Lord, that we will ultimately rest, knowing that you will guard and protect us and bring us safely into our heavenly inheritance. We pray and we would ask that you would do this for us and grant us grace to persevere in faith, holding fast to Jesus Christ, the captain of our salvation. We pray this in his holy name. Amen.